Bibles and open them up to the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses one through six. Now I'm going to speak a sermon. We're going to be having communion immediately after this, and I've been gone a while. I was not aware that we we're going to have communion, but man, what a very proper and appropriate time for to have communion this Sunday. And I thank God for the ministers that worked hard to prepare that. Uh, in that. The sermon I'm about to preach is very practical. I want to generalize it, okay? Raise your right heart and repeat after me. I will not take this personal. Okay, you said it. Uh, Read this sermon. I was, I was thinking about it today. It's designed to keep people in church. But sometimes if you take it personal, whoo, like a turkey through a cornfield, you're gone. Because you take it personal. And I teach our ministers, listen, in ministry, 90% of the time, don't take it personal. I used to have it 95% of the time until I learned more from Pastor Sonny. 10% of the time, he takes it personal. This one is the 90%. But it's a practical sermon, and you're going to learn a lot. And that's my desire. That's my design for the sermon. Okay, that you learn. You acquire some knowledge here. But I was thinking, but what an altar call. I don't think I can make it for somebody. Uh, they might not want to make it. Well, we're not. What we're going to do is we're going to examine ourselves through the communion table, the cup and, and the bread. And the Bible instructs us when we take the bread and the cup to examine ourselves. So guess what? This whole sanctuary will turn into an altar. Uh, we'll be all able to make the altar call with the bread and also the cup. Matthew 7 beginning in verse 1. Do not judge or you also will be judged. For in the same way or manner in which you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured Unto you. Why do you look? Here's the, here's the key verse of this, this sermon. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank or the beam or the pole or the log on your own eye? We could take our beams out right now. I'm just kidding. Uh, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to swine or to pigs. If you do, let me trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Oh, Jesus. Father, I pray that we remain in good pieces here. Both peace, Lord God of heart, and also uh, physically. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody together said... Amen. You may be seated. Did you notice how I laugh when I said physically? Nobody's going to tear me apart. I'm stronger than most of you. Uh, you can't tear me to shreds. But I said that a bit facetiously. A little bit funny because this portion of scripture, how ironic, how funny that I would laugh at that because that's what Jesus is doing in this portion of scripture. He's being funny. He's being witty. Christ is being rather humorous here, okay? Now, while some people are really somber when they're serious. There can be other people that can be funny and humorous and still be serious. Are you with me? There's, there, you get those somber people that wouldn't laugh for nothing. Uh, and they're almost serious. But there's people that can be humorous and witty and yet be serious. You ever heard of Philip LaCruz's sermon? How about a Pastor Steve Pineda sermon? Uh, I've told you before. I used to stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning when I first started preaching here in Hayward looking for jokes, looking for funny. I don't do that no more. They just come. Hallelujah. Uh, out of the seventh heaven, praise the Lord. Uh, see, Jesus was being witty and funny. 
Yet he was being really, really serious. Serious as a heart attack. Huh? See, Jesus knew laughter can be very good medicine, but it can also be a very effective weapon. That's what he was doing here. Some people, you can't, they won't listen to nothing unless you make them a little bit, a little funny, a little bit. Oh, then they open themselves up and the Holy Spirit can come and touch their lives. I mean, what could be more odd and more absurd, in a sense, okay, than a man with a pole in his eye trying to help another individual who had only a piece of dust in his? That's weird. Uh, that's God talking. It's a little funny. See, Jesus used this illustration to make the sin of fault finding look as ridiculous as possible. Then have the people laugh it off. Did you hear me? That's what he was doing. See, we're going to be covering the sin today of fault finding versus the truth of fact finding. Okay? Fact finding versus fault finding. Matter of fact, I have entitled my sermon. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that movie. One of my favorite top five, easy. It'll always be in the top five. Good will hunting. Anybody seen that? I should have sank the Titanic at the Academy Award. That was better than Titanic, but that's, you know, my opinion. It's a powerful movie. It's called Good Will Hunting. The title of my sermon here is Bad Will Hunting. Okay? Bad Will Hunting. There's people that are fault finders. Uh, some of you are already taking it personal. <laughs> uh, you repeat it after me. Uh, See, what Christ is doing here, okay, is that he's messing with fault finders who only go looking for the worst instead of looking for the best. We have people like that. See, this sermon here is important for a church to be instructed in. That's why I have brought it out. That's why God gave it to me because we need to understand that happens. You read the epistles and Paul was always dealing with people that were always trying to divide the church. That's the way the devil is. My mother used to say, and she wasn't even a Christian in Spanish, Esteban, el diablo no duerme. In other words, the devil don't sleep. And I've said it before, he's faithful. Why is he faithful? Because he comes to every service. Remember people call me today, I can't make it, I can't make it, I can't make it. Well, the devil didn't call me. He didn't call in. Uh, I tell him, don't call in, crawl in. Well, he crawled in here if he had to. Uh, he comes every, he's He's faithful. Uh, and that's what always happens. That's why Paul is always guarding against things like this. And so, you know, this message is designed to deal with fault finders who only go looking for the worst instead of the best. I remember years ago we had a guy, and he was, you know, in our home, and he did different things. We bought him, and we did all we could to help him. And he was actually a personal friend of mine, okay? His, his family was. And, man, and then really what happened is the guy started to sin, but we didn't know it yet. Okay, and he started saying, no, I can't go to the church. No, I can't do this. I can't do that. Finally, I, I told the brothers that were dealing with him, that were discipling him, give me the phone. Let me talk to him. Oh, you'll talk to him? Yeah, sure, I'll talk to him. And he started saying, oh, brothers, I appreciate what you've done. But, 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 Stay and show us how to do it then. Mm, no. Uh, uh, and that's, that's a fact. Whenever you, that's, there's constructive criticism versus fault finding. And we're going to find that out today. Now, why do people see the specks in people's eyes? Okay? By and large, it's not. It's not because the speck is so big. 
or because the, the, the speck is so bright or so loud. No, uh, that there's just no way that you can miss it. That's not why, why people spot a speck because it's so big. Oh, look at how big the speck is. No, that's not why they spot it. It's not because it yells or, or, or because it, it demands, you know, your, your attention. Not at all. When a person spots something that small, a speck, we need to rest assured it's because he or she is looking for it. Seek and you shall find. You want to find the bad in this place? You'll find it. Hallelujah. People say, Pastor, let me take a picture. I said, okay, here. This is my best site. <laughs> take it, take it. Uh, <laughs> uh, when Jesus paints a picture, he paints the portrait with warts and all. That's what happens. Uh, and we need to understand that. Now, to spot a pole or a log in a person's eye, that's not hard to do. It's very easy. That log would get everyone's attention, would it not? Huh? Would it not? But no one is likely to spot a speck in a person's eye unless uh, they're looking for it. Unless they have a very keen you know, eye, a very keen search. When they're really, really looking for it, that's the only way you can spot a speck. Uh, you have an eye for the specks. And why do we, as people, why do we look for specks? Well, generally and usually, it's because we want to find something wrong. Okay, we feel and we believe we cannot let the person we want to criticize get away with anything. That's really why we do it. We want to criticize because we can't let them get away with, with nothing at all. Zero. Nada. Remember the story about Job uh, and Satan? Satan comes looking for the specks, for anything in Job's life. Remember, he came before the Lord. Satan had audience with God. And God addressed him, brought him in. And he right away says, have you considered your servant Job? And God says, oh yeah, he's fine upstanding. No, he's not. Boy, if you take this, that, and the other from him, he'll turn on you. Uh, see, Satan is the ultimate fault finder. He's good at it. Uh, he's the ultimate. Uh, Satan is the master at fault finding. Now, is Victor Average a good ministry? You better settle it in your heart. Come on, huh? But do you think the devil's going to sit back and not come before the Lord? Have you considered victory outreach? Yeah, he is. Because we're, we're a ministry that wants to do our best for the best. Now, why do we want to find something wrong? Sometimes it's because we don't want to feel as bad because we're, we're not the only ones that are at fault. In other words, we want company. Misery loves company. Uh, for we then can find comfort and help in numbers. Because we can then say, see, see, I'm not the only one. Look at Brother Larry. Look, 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 look at Brother Larry. Someone's taking notes. He's not. See, 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 I told you. You don't have to take notes. Hallelujah. Pow, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, he can retain so good. Hallelujah. Then we can also find comfort in fault finding because we think that by tearing another person down, we can then somehow pull ourselves up. Isn't that so true? Uh, we want to belittle other people so we can look good. We like to compare. That's why. Look at so-and-so. Hallelujah. Uh, have you ever seen a, and I'm going to say this with a grain of salt or three, but not sugar. Have you ever seen a chubby, overweight person compare themselves to a really big person? <laughs> Do you hear what I said? I'm going to say that with a grain of 
not sugared. Hallelujah. Uh, you're thinking, they're, they're sort of chubby, you know. And they come themselves and they see a big, oh, look at him. Look at her. See, they like to do this because they believe that that, that makes them look slender. When in reality, they're really not. Uh, but in that way, they don't got to change their menu. <laughs> uh, not at all. See, but you cannot ever build your own house by going to your neighbor's house and tearing it down. It doesn't make sense. Not at all. See, I, I've told you that I teach classes for our ministers, and I tell our pastors and our ministers, I haven't told them that. Talking about other churches is not a church growth technique. Talking about other ministries, other churches, other orga- Christian organizations, that's not a church growth technique. Usually the people that talk about other churches are the ones that don't know how to build a church. Really. Uh, that's ministry stuff I'm bringing out to you, but, but that's a fact, Jack. Uh, that happens. So you can't go build your own house by turning somebody else's down. Then, we quite often find fault due to plain and simple envy. Envy. See, jealousy and envy are two different things. They're not the same thing. See, jealousy is born out of love. Uh, you ever been with me and my wife and she tells stories about me when I was younger in the Lord? Uh, I know Eddie has. Uh, when I went to the Dodger game with Pastor Sonny and Philip LaCroix and, and all these different ministry people, and I was sitting there, young in the Lord. Uh, and them Dodger fans, and you know, all of a sudden the Dodgers started winning, and they were high-fiving everything, and some guy kept high-fiving my wife. I heard him say, I want to go buy a Dodger dog. I said, you want a knuckle sandwich? No, 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 no. no. Forget your Dodger dog. Uh, finally, I said, Mr. I didn't say it like that. Mr. Look at the ring in her finger. Uh, because I know how fellas can be. Josie doesn't. Hey, Josie, real nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Dodgers. Uh, <laughs> See, <laughs> jealousy <clears throat> is birthed out of love. Envy, on the other hand, is birthed out of hate. Understand what I said. I know I said it funny, but I'm serious. Jealousy is birthed out of love when you really love somebody. Okay? But envy, that comes out of hate. <clears throat> I despise you. Who, who do you think you are? You think you're better than me. You can sing better. You can, you can do this. You can't sing better than me. You can't preach better than me. You can't justify better. You can't pray better. You can't, do you can't take notes better than me. Uh, see, envy has a long, long criminal record. Uh, remember Cain and Abel? Cain slew, killed Abel out of envy. It's got a long criminal history, a long criminal record out of envy. How about Saul and David? Remember that? Bible says they had a war, and as they were coming in, the young girls were singing the number one hit of that time. American Bandstand had a beat. Remember? Ooh, Davy, Davy. Ooh, Davy. Uh, Saul slew his thousands, but you slew ten thousand. Davy, Davy. Saul wanted to slay 1,001. <laughs> Read the Bible. The rest of 
David's life, Saul's throwing spears at him, trying to down the dude out of envy. Uh, jealousy's birthed out of love, envy's birthed out of hate. Uh, that's, that, that's the way it is. See, how about the eldest son? When the young son came home, the prodigal son came home, the eldest son, out of envy, wanted to spoil the party. He didn't want to see other people having fun because he was very envious. Uh, envy has a long, long line of criminal record. Now, why is this practice or habit, really a habit, of fault finding in others, why is it so wrong? Why is it so evil? I want to give you five quick reasons, okay? Why this is wrong. Now, number one, the reason why, you know, fault finding is so wrong is that it's wrong in its motive. If you're taking notes, it's wrong in its motive. See, again, there's nothing wrong with constructive criticism. When a person really does mean or want the best interest of that individual, Nothing wrong with, with, with admonishing a person. There's nothing wrong with, with even rebuking a person. There's nothing wrong with, with, you know, administering biblical help and assistance to a person. I've said it before. Remember that? David named one of his children after the guy that used to rebuke him. What was his name? Nathan. Nathan is the one that went up to David and said, David, thou art that man. Ah, uh, you're a sinner. So there's nothing wrong when it's constructive, when it's done in love, when you really care for the person. That's fine and dandy. Uh, Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, uh, but terrible are the kisses of an enemy. That's what the Bible says. See, when a person loves you, or his or her church, then their words are to be, you know, heeded. They're, they're to be taken seriously, even if they're wrong. But if they care for you, they love you, listen. But the person whose heart is not with you, shine it on. That's how you can tell. If they're, not, if they're just, you know, being envious or they're just being, you know, looking for fault, then you don't got to deal with it. See, the individual, that individual is only looking for the bad and for the worse. He or she is not full of goodwill. They're only bad will hunting. That's what they're doing. They're not goodwill hunting. They're looking for a crevice. They're looking for a, something wrong with us. They know exactly what they're looking for. And the good that you're doing is not their goal trying to teach you something here today. You're going to learn? And we need to understand these things. To me, this sermon is very, very vital, very important. Uh, I mean, the man that had the log in his eye, he claimed to be helping, but he wasn't. Remember that article they wrote on, on, on Pastor Sunday Victory Outreach and all that? That guy was not goodwill hunting. Ask me if I'm going to listen to that guy. No! No! I'm no better. Now, if, if it was Jack Hayford, yes, I would. If it was Billy Graham, yes, I would. Uh, if it was somebody that loved, doesn't care for us, in a hot second. But I know that. I know love when I see it. It's my business. Uh, no. That's bad will hunting. And the same principle applies, even on a smaller scale, with you and I. Uh, see, we need to be careful with, with bad will hunters. There's a saying that you can't throw the baby out with a wash. But the same thing applies with the church. Or with husbands. Matter of fact, I'm working on a book called that. You can't throw the husband out with a wash. I can hardly see the, or I can already see the, the cover. I'll probably be in it. <laughs> that's, another, that's another sermon. <laughs> probably next week. <laughs> uh, look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The 12th chapter. This is the epitome regarding fault finding. John chapter 12, 
beginning in the third verse. Oh, I like that noise. Hallelujah. Everybody open in their Bibles. John chapter 12, beginning verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard or, or ointment, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But, 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 here he comes. But, 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 just like that guy. But one of his disciples, who was, oh, they even named the dude. It's, it's mentioned in three portions of the Gospels. The other two, they didn't mention his name, so I picked this one. Uh, because John had guts. He even mentions his name. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a what? As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. <laughs> this guy didn't care. Uh, see, you want to listen to people when they really care for you, when they want the best for you. When they don't, look out. See, fault finders then, like Judas, are wrong in their motives. Judas didn't care about Mary. He didn't care about Jesus. He didn't care about anybody else. He only cared about himself. Reason number two why fault finding is wrong is because of the hurt that it causes the people that you're finding fault with, the people that you're criticizing. It hurts them, and it hurts them big time. Criticism can hurt so bad. It discourages people. Doesn't it discourage you? You'll never amount to a hill of beans. That's why I say, parents, don't tell that to your kids. Be very careful. Yes, you love them, but, but be careful. It can discourage people. See, when a person slanders the reputation of another one, uh, they mess up the usefulness of the person that's being criticized. Did you hear me? They mess with the reputation. They mess with the usefulness of that individual. That's the reason why I try so hard not to talk about other churches. Because, you know, someday you might need them. And I do love you. I don't, I don't mind seeing you in another church as long as I get to see you in heaven. Really, really. Maybe I can't be the minister that you want. I don't know. I'm going to try hard. Lock the doors. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but I don't do that. Because someday you might need somebody else. That's how much I love you. Uh, if somebody can do a better job than me, show, them. I'm, show me to them. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, it's all right. No lo problema. Uh, see, Victory Outreach, with our, our ministry, we're experts in certain fields worldwide. And I'm talking worldwide. And those who talk about us for reasons only known, known to themselves, okay, that's sad because someday somebody in their family might need our expertise. But because they talk bad about us, the blood will be required on the hands of the people that were talking bad about us. Not on us. Uh, that's why the sermon is so important. Uh, the third reason why fault finding is so wrong, okay, is the habit of looking for the worst instead of the best hurts also not only the person being criticized, but it hurts the critic. It hurts the critic himself. Why? And how does it hurt the critic himself? Because the habit of fault finding has a way of blinding these person's eyes. It blinds their eyes. Uh, fault finders will never be a dependable fact finder. A fault finder, listen to me what I said. A fault finder, he'll never be a dependable fact finder. They're always only looking for the worst. 
and thus they fail to develop a sense and a taste for the best. Ooh, God, that's, that's terrible. They're only looking for the worst. So they fail to develop a sense for the great, the good, the best. They don't develop a, a, a good taste and a sense for what's good. They only know the bad. Ah, They wouldn't know the best if it stood up and hit them on the head. I did that one time and I hit myself with the head and I had a big old market for a long time. I'm not going to do that no more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I ain't looking for that fault. That was my fault. Uh, and I found it. Boom. But they wouldn't know the best if it jumped up and boop hit them. Because they're only looking for what's bad. Uh, see, when you're looking to condemn, you'll find nothing to commend. I repeat, when you're looking to condemn, you'll never find anything to commend. To seek for the worst is to become blind to the best. Fault finders make terrible fact finders. Isaiah 53 speaks about Jesus and there was nothing comeliness, nothing good about him. There was a lot of bad stuff that says about, about Jesus. They, he didn't look like a, a, a prophet, a number of things. Uh, you read Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, and you'll find that out. See, by and large, we're pretty much usually always going to find what we're looking for. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Seek and you shall find. If you want to find something wrong, you'll find it. Uh, if we're looking for the worst, we're going to find it. But you're going to miss the best. What's that illustration that I've used many times? Pussycat, pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London and back again. But what did he see? A mouse. I mean, London has the London Bridge, uh, Westminster Abbey. London is maybe one of the most beautiful cities in the entire planet. A Big Ben, uh, Victory Outreach. Uh, it's got some great sights there. Uh, but the pussycat only saw a mouse. So, huh? Because he had a taste for the worst. And he missed the splendor of London. And with Christianity, if you go looking for a mouse, you'll miss the splendor of God's house. You'll miss the best. Because you came already looking for the worst. See, if you wanted to know about the beauty of the Grand Canyon, don't send a vulture to go check it out for you. He's going to come back with a, something dead in his mouth. He's going to miss all the beauty and splendor. Of the, all he's going to see is the... the, the, the same thing applies with Christianity. Uh, with the church and fault finders. See, if a person is only looking for the bad, and if that person, a fault finder, if he comes to church, or if he or she is in a bad mood, by the way, these are easy to spot. The bad mooders. I can spot you. Um, and though the service could be grand, great, beautiful, tremendous, a lot of splendor here. Uh, the worship was great. The sermon was, was all right. But the preacher said just one thing that didn't ring clear with that, one, with that person. Just one thing. He'll throw out everything else. He'll throw out everything else. He's, the preacher said one thing that offended him. Like right now, if I've already said something that offended you, hmm, yeah, now listen to this one. Preacher with the wind. Turn me off already. Uh, how are you thinking about his tacos? Uh, see, my friend, instead of throwing away the little or the one thing that was bad and accepting the much that was good, you do the opposite. And you keep the bad and you throw away the good. Throw away that little small one. Uh, see, if I wanted a good and accurate account 
of that service that that person went to, I really couldn't get it from a person that's a fault finder. If I really wanted a good assessment of how the service went, brother, how did the church go? Oh, it was Bonnaroo, bro. It was out of sight. It was the bomb. It was bad. It was choice. I can't ask a vulture to do that. I can't ask a fault finder to do that. Oh, it was all right. Uh, because the fault finder cannot be counted on for the actual truth. He's a terrible fact finder. Fact finder. Uh, but the real funny and odd part about this is that these fault finders, Christ is saying, is that though they become, you know, experts at finding specks, in other words, they fail miserably at finding faults within themselves too. That's, that's the funny part about it. He says, you know what the funny thing about this is, okay, while these people, they become experts at finding specks in, in other people's eyes, they fail miserably at finding faults within themselves. That's ironic, Jesus is saying. That's odd, that's funny. That's something to laugh about. They're experts at finding something wrong with everybody else. Look, 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 they don't want to find anything wrong with themselves. Uh, they can't even see the log uh, in their own eye. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the sermon, this illustration of Jesus, okay, that can, that can make you laugh, it really is a serious and even tragic matter. I hope you understand what I said right there. That's what I said in the beginning. It's really tragic. Uh, Jesus might be being funny, but he's real serious. It's tragic because you can miss the boat. Uh, you can, like Pastor Cal used to say, one of the best speakers in Victory Outreach ever, who's gone on to be with God in heaven. He would say, brothers, you can nickel slick yourself out of heaven. He was right. Number four, also, number four, what Jesus is telling us here in Matthew 7 is that the fault finder loses out on friendships. Very important. I mean, who wants to hang around with a sourpuss? Let me see your hand. No, no hands are going to go up. Uh, nobody does. Uh, I mean, who wants a person who's only looking for the worst and the bad points in an individual? Not at all. And the opposite, though, is also true. If you have an enemy, listen to me what I'm saying. The opposite is also true. If you have an enemy, by telling he or her what's good and best about them, you'll eventually win them over. You will. That's what Matthew chapter 7 verse 2 is saying. With the same measure you give out uh, is the same measure or the same way you'll be giving or dealt with back to you as well. If you tell somebody, you're no good, you're no good, no, you're good, that's what you're going to get back. But if you tell everybody, Pastor Steve, I really loved your sermon, did you? Yes. Yeah. Can I hang around with you? Uh, can I buy you some strawberry cheesecake? Ah. Uh, with this, the way you measure, that's how you're going to get it back. Brother, you're, I love this about you. Sister, that's great about you. That's great. Oh, man, I really like this about you. Oh, yeah. Proverbs 18.24 says, A person who wants friends must first show himself friendly. Ah. Then finally, the last thing, the fifth thing. The habit of fault finding is so very, very hard to break. Very difficult. That's why, again, this sermon was so important to me. Because if you don't have sermons like this, even when you're brand new in Christianity, you can be tricked by the devil and you can edge your, and find yourself into being a fault finder in the house of God. 
Why do you think churches don't grow? Fault finders. What have I said before? A church was never destroyed by lipstick. Sister, you got too much lipstick on. It's destroyed by what's behind the lippy sticky. Did you see the skirt on that girl? It was above her ears. Ay, ay, ay. Well, the Bible says that he that has ears. Ay, ay, ay. No, 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 no. Let's go ahead. Fault finders become very proudful and listen to me, very egotistic. Very egotistic. They pride themselves in being able to see more through a keyhole than through an open door. Than most people can see through an open door. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Do you see what I see? Oh. They pride themselves. They're egotistic. They can see more through a keyhole than most of us can see through an open door. I am the prophet of victory, our rich Hayward, and I'm serious. If you don't believe me, ay, ay, ay. Uh, the prophets of doom who can see the whole room through a keyhole. Remember the prayer of the Pharisee and the publican? Remember that? Found in the, in the Gospel of Luke. The Pharisee couldn't see fair. The only thing he saw was the sin of the publican, not himself. The Bible says the publican went away justified, while well, the other guy probably ended up in hell. Uh, because he could see the sin of the publican, but he couldn't see his own sin. Uh, listen to me. This is very important. No man ever finds God by confessing the sins of his brothers. I repeat, nobody ever gets saved. Nobody ever finds God uh, without confessing the sins of his brother. You got to confess your own sins. Fault finding is so faulty. Who wrote that? I did. Fault finding is, is, is it's a fault. Now, how then can we find a cure for fault finding? Well, we need to realize how wrong, how bad, how evil this habit really is. Fault finding is like a dope fiend. And I know who I'm talking to here. How did the men end up in the home? I need help. I'm a drug addict. Uh, they're 32 years old. They've been telling their parents for 30 years they're not drug addicts. I'm all right, mom. I'm okay. I'm going to be all right. I just sometimes use marijuana. Uh, no, you got to fess up. You got to confess your own faults. And as a fault finder, you got to confess your own faults. Uh, you got to. See, fault finding is not a baby sin. It's not a toy to mess with. It can be very, very deadly to ourselves, to others, and to God. Such conduct should not find its way into the house of God and into God's people's hearts. It should remain out in the world, not here, not at all. See, then once we face this issue, the need to, to genuinely repent should surface as well in our hearts. And to repent means to change one, one person's mind. Repent means 180 degree turn. Listen to me. This is how you get out of fault finding. 
This is how you do it. It's a 180 degree turn. That, that's what repent means. In other words, if you're a fault finder, you know what you've got to start doing? Pastor Steve, that was a great sermon. Just say that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let you be on the tape. At the count of three, you can say it. You can, okay, say, Pastor Steve, ooh, what an, don't say, what an awesome, awesome, twice sermon. Twice. One, two, three. You're ready for repentance. Ah, see, Pastor Steve, that's a great tie. Your best side is the front. All right, all right, all right. That's how you repent. That's how you do it. That's how you, you start finding good in other people. Listen, so those of you that were great fault finders, you can become great fact finders. You can start, oh, brother, oh, that's so, that's under your night dress. Oh, I like this. Oh, just start doing it. You're going to have so many friends, you don't know what to do. Uh, there's a story, and with this I close, uh, of, a, of, a, of a little kid who found a dog. Uh, you ever seen some ugly dogs? I have. I was in some place the other day. I saw the ugliest dog. I think it was in Bridgeport. That's a rugged place. And they had a dog to fit Bridgeport. I mean, that's right there where they're at. It's terrible. And that dog was like all over the place. And it was real small. And the, the, the story goes that, the, that the, the little kid found the dog and he brought the dog to his dad. And he says, Dad, Dad, look what I found. <laughs> that's his son. That's the ugliest dog I ever saw in my life. The little kid says, but dad, he dags his tail so good. He found something good in that ugly dog. But dad, he wags his tail so good. Find the good in people. Be a fact finder, not a fault finder. Watch this sermon here could just bring out for our church to grow and grow and grow. Because that's why churches don't grow sometimes. Because you got a lot of... Uh, there's so many churches in America under 75 and under. Hi. The majority of the churches. And I believe this is maybe the brunt of it. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I pray... We learn to find the wagging tail in everything that is good, that you've built, that you've created in your image. And I'm speaking about humans. May this church be a fact-finding church. When the criticism is here, let it be constructive. Let it be done with love and heart. That's all I ask. We're not perfect. We never will be. But Lord, let us be genuine. Let us be loving. Let us do things from the deepest part of our hearts. Wanting the best for your people that you died for. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to take communion. I was going to do it for tonight, but I want to take communion right now. I'm going to ask the ushers, excuse me, and the ministers to come and help us serve communion. We're going to do one song. We've got to move as fast as possible. Start moving even now.
But I want us to take communion because in communion, the Bible says to examine yourselves. I'm not going to make an altar call. The altar call is going to you. It's coming to you. Examine your heart. Examine your life. I've said it before. There's no better feeling in all the world than to know that you're right with God. And I'm talking about feelings. Even feelings. When you know that you're right. You've made amends. You've fessed up to the one that knows everything anyways. Almighty God. I'm going to ask him to serve the cup and also the bread and we're going to partake of communion. Hmm. I really wish we could have brought our children down here because I like to take communion with our children. We'll do it next time. Sometimes people say, why do you do it with kids? They don't understand. And the reason I always say that is because God showed me something. That when I was out in the world, I used to, I used to give my little nephews, my little nieces, little shots of rainy ale in a little the cork, the little top of it. And they used to get drunk. And I was leading my little nephews and nieces the wrong way. Now, I want to lead them the right way. Amen. That's why I let them come and have communion with us. Because I want them to, I want to be an example of them saying, look at son, look at daughter, look what we're doing here. We're honoring Almighty God. I'm finally doing the right thing. And I want my children to see that. I'm living for God. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I like to be an example to our kids. As they pass the cup and the bread, I'm going to ask you right there where you're at. The Bible instructs us to examine yourselves before you take communion. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and just there to close your eyes and open your heart and take inventory of your life. That's the beauty of communion. It says, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. And to remember has nothing, that much to do with mentality of the mind. It has to do with remembering yourself to the body of Christ. You are remembering yourself into God's body. You become a member of the body of Christ. And if somehow you've strayed or gone wayward, you can remember yourself, reinsert yourself into the body and the church of Jesus Christ. Father, let us reflect on your great splendor. We would come into your house and see your awesomeness, your greatness, your heart, sense your presence, sense your presence. Take me in your presence, for that's where I long to be. And to the Holy of Holies, I want to fall down on my knees through the precious blood of Jesus. The blood that covers me. That's where I long to be. We're not looking for a mouse, we're looking for God. 
into the into the holy of holies. I want to fall down on my knees through the precious blood of Jesus. Up, and then we'll sing the final stanza once we partake of this precious Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And I want to commend those of you that served the communion. That was fast. You did a great job. Uh, I want to commend all of you for coming to church. What a great church, Victory Outreach Hayward is. I think so much about you. Sometimes I fail to tell you. But I love you, man. I love you, people. I love you. I'm not perfect. That's my children. But they know I love them. And I love you guys. Hallelujah. Let's partake of the bread. Now let's partake of the cup. Our prayer will be this song. Precious Holy Spirit. The final stanza. Precious Holy Spirit It's your presence that I see 